Well, good morning. Uh, one good thing about having a survey means however lousy the sermon is, it's not the worst part of the service. So that's a good thing, yeah. <laughs> hey, good morning. I am really, really glad to be here with you this morning. I want you to know that God has a plan for your life. I hope you know that. God has a plan for your life, and so do I. So this is good. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're new, I uh, want to say how much uh, we are really, really glad that you're here. We want you to have just a, a VIP experience this morning. If you're new, I also want you to know you're in really good company because I'm new here too. I've only been here about a month. They've already got me preaching up here. So if you're new, let me just say you want to be really careful which box you check on this connection card because you might find yourself up here next week. So... Uh, <laughs> Just be careful on that. But hey, uh, because I am new, I want to tell you just a little bit about myself. I, uh, uh, I'm originally from Texas. That's where I went, met my wife, Annie, and uh, we moved here most recently from Walla Walla, Washington. The town's so nice, they named it twice. And uh, uh, we have seven kids together, so sometimes people ask me, like, oh, what do you do in your free time? I just laugh. I don't have any free time. You know, I've got seven kids. But uh, I have not always been a pastor. There was a long time when I thought that was the craziest idea in the world, and yet here I am. But uh, for a long time, I worked as an actor and a director. I did a lot of theatrical work. And there's a saying in the world of theater, there's a saying, maybe you've heard, there are no small parts, only small actors. Have you ever heard that saying before? Yeah. And, uh, and it's true. It's true not just in the world of acting, you know, the idea being that, hey, even a, a small little role is important, and that's true in, in the rest of the world, too. Everybody matters. Everybody can make a difference. But when I was in school, they would say, there are no small parts, only small actors like Chris Harrison. That's what, yeah. I wasn't as tall back then as I am now. That's why they would say that. But now, now I'm a small pastor, and there's still no small parts. That's still true. All of us play an important role, especially when it comes to the church. Uh, we're in this series called The Power of Vision, talking all about vision. And I told you, God has a plan for your life. God has a vision for your life. And this morning, uh, I want to share with you something I am really uh, passionate about, something that I see as a theme all through the Bible from beginning to end, something I think that gets to the heart of God in a really unique way. And, and our big idea this morning is simply this, that God's vision is to change the world through you. God's vision is to change the world through you. His vision involves you making an impact on other people. We're going to explore that big idea this morning, and we see it all over the Bible from the beginning all the way to the end. God wants to change the world through you. And the first place I want us to see this is near the beginning of the Bible. So if you have a Bible, you can open it up to the book of Exodus. Exodus, that's right at the beginning. There's Genesis, the first book, and then Exodus right there. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, maybe we'd love to give you one. No strings attached, just our gift. It's out in the atrium. You can find those tables, and you can get a Bible before you leave. And as we look at this passage today in Exodus, I want to give us a little bit of context, okay? In the book of Exodus, the people have uh, been slaves in Egypt. They were slaves for over 400 years. So, so all that they've ever really known for generations is slavery. And then here comes Moses, this leader, and, and God uses Moses to rescue them from slavery. And, and so one bit of context that's helpful this morning is that God's plan to rescue all these people from slavery involved a person, Moses. I mean, he could have done that in a lot of different ways, but God chose to use a person to bring about change for the people of Israel. So, 
So they've gotten out of slavery, they're out in the desert, they've gotten away from Egypt, but uh, they still think like slaves. They still act like slaves. It's kind of hardwired into to who they are. And so they, they wait around for somebody to tell them what to do and what to think. And they have all these problems. And, hey, Moses, what should we do about this? Moses, tell us what should we do about this? And, and, and that's, you know, that's what Moses is doing all day. It's a little bit like, like me. I've been uh, at this role here for a little bit of time, just a short period of time. And I'm in learning mode, just trying to learn how things work here. And I found the coffee. That was important. I found it. But every, I'm still learning a lot of other stuff. And and, you know, I'm certainly not Moses, but I did have one of the pastors came into my office the other day, and he was like, hey, I've got this problem I need you to help me with. I said, oh, okay, sure. And he starts to outline the problem, and I put on my, my wisest face here, and, and he's talking, and I was like, I have no idea what to do about this problem, right? But I just said, hmm, what do you think we should do, right? Yeah. And turns out he had like this really well thought out plan and I thought, well, yeah, that's pretty much what I was thinking. So let's go with that plan, right? He, he, uh, I'm not Moses. He needed somebody wiser than me, but it worked out. And, and, and yet that's what Moses is doing all day, right? He, all the people are coming to him with their problems and he spends all day listening to these disputes and settling arguments and he makes some decisions and rulings for the people. And the strategy is going along pretty well for a while until uh, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, shows up. And Jethro, you know, sounds like your redneck cousin, but it turns out that this Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, actually has some really good advice. And so let's take a look at the text. This is Exodus chapter 18. Yeah, it starts at verse 13. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you, and you cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me. I'll give you some advice, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring the disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you, the, the simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they'll share it with you. If you do this, and God so commands, you'll be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. So Jethro gives this advice to Moses and everybody loves to get advice from their father-in-law, right? You know, I recently became a father-in-law myself and I've been working really hard to not uh, stick myself in to my daughter and, and son-in-law's relationship and they're making mostly good decisions but, but I have to resist, you know, that offering that unsolicited advice because that's really what Jethro does. I mean, he, he proposes this plan to lighten Moses' workload and he tells Moses, what you're doing is not good. This is what everybody wants to hear after a full day of work, right? Uh, you, you know, Moses is dispensing wisdom all day long. Think about that. He's leading, there's like two million people out in the desert, and, and he's solving their problems from morning till night. I would say he's doing a lot of good. And yet Jethro says, what you're doing 
is not good. I mean, what's up with that? It's just like a father-in-law to, to come in, uh, watch you for one day, and then criticize all your life's work, right? But, but what Jethro says is true. What Moses is doing is not good, and the reason is because Moses is doing it alone. See, Jethro goes on to say, you can't do this alone. Moses needs other people. And that leads us really back to our big idea because God's vision involves people. And in God's vision, there's a role for all of us. There's a role for all of us. There are no small parts. God's plan has always involved people. God uses people to lead others, to impact others, to serve others. His vision is to change the world through you. And that means there's a role for all of us. If you were here last week, you heard the story of Gideon, and, and one of the amazing parts of that story is that God kept making Gideon's army smaller and smaller and smaller, right? He kept sending people home until there was only uh, 300 soldiers against this, this huge army. And the story of Moses, it's really the opposite. God has more and more and more people he wants to add to the mix. But God chooses more often than not to work through people. Uh, we see it all over the Bible. I mean, part of the reason that Gideon's story is so amazing is because it's so unusual. It's not the way that God normally operates. And throughout the Bible, you know, God's capable of doing miraculous things. The, the, the entire Bible is full of miracles. But more often than not, God chooses to work through people, ordinary people, people who are often overlooked, people who are unqualified, all the people who get chosen last at recess for kickball, even Moses himself was unqualified to lead the people, but that was God's plan. God uses people to change the world. Another crazy element of this story to think about is the fact that Moses talks to God. I mean, all of us here can talk to God. I mean, that's ultimately what prayer is, right? Just talking to God. But, but Moses had a special relationship with God. They talked in a way that nobody else did. And yet still, Moses can't do all this alone. In God's vision, there's a place for all of us. And notice some of these details of Jethro's plan. He's proposing people who will lead over 1,000 people and some who will lead over 100 people, some just leading over 10 people. It kind of sounds like a, like a pyramid scheme, right? Or, excuse me, a multi-level marketing plan. It, it sounds like there's all these, you know, leaders at the top that are going to have all this influence, and then some people only get a little bit, some people not at all. It feels like a bad corporate org chart, you know, like all the decisions are made by the top people and all the middle management folks got to figure out how to make it all work. Maybe your job is like that. I hope not. But, uh, but as we read this, it doesn't seem like a really great idea, but I want you to notice the qualifications. I mean, Jethro suggests some really important qualifications that these leaders have. He says, yeah, you should appoint these people, but let me tell you what kind of people to appoint. He says in verse 21, he says, select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them. Now, Grace, we would say women are also capable of leadership, but I, I want us to notice these qualifications, fearing God, trustworthy, hating dishonest gain. These are all character qualities. That's the basis for their leadership. One scholar says, Jethro's list of qualifications for the leadership requires qualities of character, belief, and behavior, not age, wealth, or family position. It's all about character, finding quality leaders who can come alongside Moses and make wise decisions with him. One more thing to notice about Jethro's advice. It, it's not just advice. 
He says in verse 23, if you do this and God so commands. In other words, you should do this because God's commanding you to do it. If you do this, and by the way, it's a command from God. I mean, that's really what he's saying here. Moses is really wise to listen to this advice because it's not just advice. It's wisdom from God. So you could say it this way. Jethro himself is being used by God to set up this structure that's all about how people can lead. God uses a person to teach Moses the lesson that God uses people to accomplish his vision, right? So this advice is worth paying attention to, not just for Moses, but for us as well. Uh, think about how this kind of system would work. In, in the system that, that, that Jethro suggests or that God suggests, one out of every 10 people is a leader, right? Think about that. If, there, if there's leaders over 10, that means one out of every 10 people is a leader. So there's two million people living out in this desert near Israel. 200,000 of them are, are, are leaders. There's so many opportunities to serve and grow in this system. If you think about you know, how many of those people were kids, then most of these adults have an opportunity to lead. You know, it makes me think a little bit about the University of Oregon, right? The U of O has a strong athletic program. I mean, not as strong as my alma mater, Baylor, but who's counting, really? It's fine, you know. Oregon's good. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Sermon's over, apparently, right there. <laughs> but one, one big piece of the University of Oregon's success is Phil Knight, right? I mean, he's got billions of money, uh, dollars he throws it into the school, and they've got like 80 football uniforms. It's great, right? But Phil Knight by himself, he can't build a winning team. He's just one person. Uh, there has to be a place for a lot of people. I mean, one booster or even one coach can't win championships. Uh, you need a whole team. It, it's just like God's vision. There's a place for all of us. And, and in Exodus, the way this group of leaders is established tells us that these leaders are, are with the people. They're, they're right alongside the people they're leading, arm in arm. They're not, you know, distant, making decisions and calling shots from some ivory tower somewhere. The way this is set up, there's a leader for every 10 people. So no one has needs that are being ignored. No one has problems that go unseen. Every 10 people have direct access to a spiritually mature leader. God's vision is to change the world, and he does it through people. There's a role for all of us. To put this in perspective, just, just look around the room for a minute. I don't know how many of us are here, plus the folks watching online, but, but one out of every ten of us is a leader. That's an amazing amount of leadership potential just right here in this room. No one in this room having to feel unseen, having to go unnoticed. God's vision for your life could become a reality because God can use each of us to make it happen. So what are we going to do about it? If God's vision is to use people to change the world, what are you and I going to do with all this leadership potential? If God's vision is to use people to change the world, that means God has a vision for your life. Are you living out God's vision for your life? The reality is that you and I are here at this church at this time for a reason. God has a vision to use each of us in the lives of each of us. God has a vision to transform this church, to transform this community, and to change the world. He wants to do it through us. You know, God could do miracles, but maybe his best miracle is taking people like you and me and turning us into people who can accomplish his vision, right? 
So what are we going to do about it? How are we going to change our priorities, our, our focus, our, our energy, and our resources in order to be used by God? I told you this idea, this vision God has to use people to change the world. It shows up all over the Bible. We see it in Exodus. But Jesus himself had a similar vision, a similar passion for leadership. He understood that God's vision was to change the world through people just like you and me. He, his time on earth was short, just a few years, but, but he set in motion plans to change the entire world. And what's his vision? Jesus chose to change the world through people. That's number two in, in your notes. Right before he died, right before he was arrested and killed, he told his disciples a little bit about this plan. He said, I'm leaving, but don't be sad because it's for your good that I'm going away. That's what he said. I'm paraphrasing Jesus, but you can read that in John 16. It's for your good that I'm going away. Why would Jesus say that? Because he knows that God's vision is to change the world through people. Jesus knows that if he goes away, his disciples will have everything they need to keep changing the world because they'll have the Holy Spirit. See, if you're a believer in Jesus, if you've committed your life to Jesus, then one thing that means is that you have the Holy Spirit in you, dwelling inside you. You have all the access to the same wisdom that Moses had, which means God wants to use you to accomplish his vision. So Jesus tells his followers, his disciples, that it's for their good that he's going away, and then he went away. But of course, you know the rest of the story. He came back, and he died, and he was resurrected. And after he's resurrected, he, he gives his disciples some final instructions. We call it the Great Commission. And basically, he says, hey, God wants to use you to change the world. That's how God works, through people. Jesus tells them, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. Just like these leaders that Moses appointed, Jesus tells us to go, use our lives to accomplish God's vision for the world. The kind of change that Jesus is seeking is making disciples. That's how Jesus wants to change the world, sharing the good news with everybody. Uh, one of the things that's really important to me, you'll hear me talk about it a lot, is the difference between discipleship and disciple making. And if you've been around church for a while, you've heard of discipleship, right? Uh, it basically just means doing things that will help you grow, help you become more like Jesus. So discipleship is things like praying or, or reading your Bible, joining a community group, uh, ministry here at Grace, something like that. You'll find ways to help you grow and become a better disciple. That's discipleship. And discipleship is great. But there's a difference between discipleship and disciple making. And when Jesus gives us the Great Commission, he's not really talking about discipleship. He's talking about disciple-making. Because discipleship is great, but it really starts and stops with you or with me. I read the Bible, and I grow. Or I listen to a sermon, and I take notes for myself. That's discipleship. But what Jesus calls us to, he calls us to accomplish God's vision, changing the world, not by discipleship, but by disciple-making taking all the things we learn from God, taking those things that God is teaching us and passing them on to other people. That's what God calls all of us to. That's the kind of leadership impact we can have here, being disciple makers, being people that God uses to change the world and accomplish his vision. 
Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Steve mentioned about this famous vision casting moment when President uh, Kennedy laid out the vision to put a man on the moon, right? In his famous speech, he shared the goal of, of landing a man on the moon by the end of the decade, and of course it became a reality. That vision came into to fruition. And one of the ways it became a reality is because a lot of people worked together to make it happen. In that famous speech, one of the things that JFK shared is this. He said, I believe that this nation should commit itself to landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to earth. That last part's important too, right? That was his vision, right? And he goes on to say this. He says, it will not be one man going to the moon. If we make this judgment affirmatively, it will be an entire nation. For all of us must work together to put him there. In other words, that vision requires people. And President Kennedy goes on in that speech to put out a call for people to get to work on this coal. He calls upon every scientist, every engineer, every serviceman, every technician, contractor, and civil servant to give his personal pledge that this nation will move forward with the full speed of freedom in the exciting adventure of space. What's well, the same kind of thing that Jesus says? All of you have a role in fulfilling the Great Commission. All of us have a role in accomplishing God's vision. God wants to use people just like you and me to change the world. And Jesus left so that we could live out God's vision. So God gave Moses this vision to empower all kinds of people to live out and accomplish God's vision. Every tenth person is a leader. And then Jesus comes along and he raises the bar even more. All his followers can go and make disciples, not just investing in themselves, but, but living out God's vision in the whole world. And in the early days of the church, the apostle Paul carries the same theme. He tells us that here, in the church specifically, we have a role in accomplishing God's vision. The church functions best when we all play a part. That's uh, number three in your notes. You can look at this in your Bible if you want, but it'll be up here on the screens. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, Paul says this. And he, talking about Jesus, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So Paul's talking about how the church should operate, what role pastors and, and teachers and other gifted leaders should have. And he says that their role, he says it right here, not to do the work of ministry. Uh, in our modern church culture, we, uh, we tend to think we hire pastors or we appoint leaders to go and do the work of ministry. But Paul tells us something very different here. Look at the passage again. He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. See, the job description for church leaders is very clear. We're not to do the work of ministry, but instead we equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's, that's you. Every believer is a saint, is a holy person, and every believer can do ministry. We all have ministry that God wants us to do. God has a vision, and he wants each and every one of us to play a part in accomplishing that vision. The church functions best when we all play a part. So church leaders... We have the job of equipping the saints, and the saints have the job of doing the work of ministry. And notice this emphasis at the very beginning of this. Jesus himself gave some. He, he, he personally involves himself in the process of setting apart pastors or church leaders, not to do ministry, but to prepare other people, to equip other people. It's so important to Jesus that believers do the work of ministry. Each of us has a role in accomplishing God's vision, and the church functions best when we all play a part. So just like the system that Moses set up where everybody had a spiritually mature leader directly connected to them, 
No one is alone. No one is unseen. That's how it should be at the church. That's God's vision for us. That's how we function best. Not just depending on a pastor to, to know everybody and to care for everybody, but each of us depending on each of us to love and care for and nurture and grow each other. Yet so many churches get confused in this area, and that confusion breeds tension, it breeds unrest. I think part of this tension and confusion comes because some faulty vocabulary has infiltrated the church. And so let me explain what I mean. Uh, you've probably heard the term clergy, like a, a member of the clergy as a pastor or some kind of church leader who leads the church. And you've probably heard the term layperson, which is basically like everybody else. So there's clergy and there's lay people. And when most people hear those words, clergy and lay people, certain definition kind of comes in our minds. But the definitions that we carry around are really far from the original intended meaning. Uh, churches nowadays hire clergy to do the work of ministry because they think of the clergy as a, a special people, select group of people, expert Christians, right? Uh, people who have some special connection to God or are specially equipped to do this kind of thing. Uh, you can even find clergy parking spots at some hospitals and stuff like that. Well, this word clergy, it comes from a, a Greek word, kleros, and it, it doesn't apply to some special group of people. In fact, the word just means inheritance, so in the Bible, that, that word kleros has nothing to do with a special set-apart group of people who do the work of ministry. In fact, it's a word that's used to describe all believers, everybody who believes in Jesus, not just pastors, right? So that word was never intended to create some kind of supergroup of spiritual leaders who do all the ministry. So in reality, all those clergy parking spots are for you. You can just, if they tow your car, yeah, I, I don't know anything about it, right? So this other term that gets tossed around a lot. Uh, we talk about clergy as the separate group from lay people. Like there's professional Christians and then there's all the rest of us, right? <clears throat> but that's another term that's problematic because in the Bible that term lay person, it, it just comes from a word leos, which, which actually refers to God's special people. So, so the laos are not somehow less than other people. They're actually special. They're God's special people. And again, that's a term that involves all uh, Jesus followers. We're all chosen by God. We're all special. So, so both these terms, kleros and laos, they apply to all of us. We're all people of God's possession. We're all his inheritance. And, and so when you think about it, our, our pastors are lay people, and uh, each of you is a member of the clergy. But th these terms have been so confused and so misunderstood by churches that all they really do is create unhealthy divides. They make us think that, oh, only a few people do the work of ministry, when all along God's vision is to change the world through all of us. And the church functions best when we all play a part. So we've seen from the beginning of the Bible, Exodus, all the way through the New Testament, the same idea is true. God's vision is to change the world through you. That's the plan Jesus chose. It's how the church functions best. We all have a part to play. And yet knowing that truth and living out that truth are two different things. So like how do we go about changing the world? I mean, I don't know about you, but most of the time I don't feel like a world changer. You know, maybe you've got enough problems of your own. The, the idea of trying to change the world is just too much. Or maybe you've been, you know, at this stuff for a while and you're just tired. The idea of changing the world is just exhausting. Well, I want us to see one other place in the Bible, one last passage that really tells us how to do this, how to live out God's vision for our life. How do we change the world? So we start at the beginning of the Bible. We're going to go all the way to one of the last books of the Bible. It's a book called 2 Timothy. 
Paul the Apostle is writing to his young protege, Timothy. He's given Timothy some instructions about how to keep this world-changing movement going. And listen to what he says. He tells Timothy, the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful people who will also be qualified to teach others. So this verse tells us how to live out God's vision, and we do it one person at a time. The way to change the world is one relationship at a time. That's number four in your notes, one relationship at a time. I told you about the difference between discipleship and disciple making. Well, in this verse, there's four generations of disciples being made, right? Paul is helping Timothy grow, and then Timothy is sharing the message with faithful people, and then those faithful people are teaching others. That's how it happens, just one relationship at a time. So we don't have to get hung up on the fact that we don't feel qualified or or we don't feel prepared to change the world. We don't have to worry about anything like that because all God really wants us to do is just invest in other people, one relationship at a time. We can all do that. That's the way we change the world, one relationship at a time. You learn some things from God and then you share them with somebody else. It's just that simple. One other thing to notice in this verse, I want us to notice the order of the words. This verse does not say, entrust to qualified people who will then be faithful. No, no, no. Uh, He's not saying, go find some great high-capacity leaders and make them faithful. He's not saying, go go find the most talented people you can and put them through some kind of character boot camp. No, he says the way to change the world is to entrust the important things to faithful people. And over time, they'll be qualified. They'll be able. So this kills the excuses that we all come up with. Oh, I don't know enough of that. I just need a little more Bible study, and then I'll probably be ready. No, no, no. God wants faithful people, and he'll do the job of equipping us to make us able. There are no small parts. The church functions best when all of us play a part, and the part that God is asking us to play is to invest in our relationships, making disciples one relationship at a time. So when we follow God's vision for the world, we can become people who change the world. We don't have to leave the work to somebody else. Just like Moses, it was not good for him to do it alone. In God's vision, we all share the responsibility of leadership, of disciple-making, and we all get satisfaction. That's what Jethro tells Moses. He tells Moses, if you do this, and God so commands... All these people will go home satisfied. That's God's vision for the world. His vision is for a church full of people, not who who sit and soak and sour and wait around for somebody to make a decision so they can complain that it was done the wrong way. That's not God's vision for the church. God's vision is to change the world. And even though he's capable of miracles, he still chooses to do it through people just like you and me. And so I want to leave us with some things we can do, some practical things we can all do to help position us to live out God's vision for our lives. First of all, we can examine our priorities. We can look at how we're using our time and our resources. Are we living in a way that God is really able to use us? Or are we so busy with our own activities, too caught up in our work, too distracted to be used by God? Just examine your priorities. And you can ask yourself two very simple questions. The first question, what will my life look like if I get this wrong? If I get all the wrong priorities, what is my life going to look like? 
And the second question is, if, what would my life look like if I get this right? How can I be a part of God's plan to change the world? Just examine your priorities. Are you surrounding yourself with people who are going to help you grow, help you live out God's vision? Are you investing your time and your energy in a community group or a men's or women's ministry? Are you putting yourself in a position to be used by God? So we can examine our priorities, and secondly, we can maximize our relationships. If the way to live out God's vision is one relationship at a time, then let's make good use of the relationships we have. If, if Jesus' plan is to make disciples of all nations, you know, God may not call you to go move to Africa, but he has put you right here, right now. He has surrounded you with a circle of people that you can influence in relationships. So think about your, your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends, and your family. How are you making use of those relationships in order to be a disciple maker? And I'm not talking about you know, using people, turning all your relationships into transactions. I'm just saying, how can you best invest in and show love to the people that God has put in your path? The third thing we could do to help us live out God's vision is simply to pray. Pray that God would give you more influence. Remember, Paul's advice to Timothy is just to find faithful people. That's all we have to focus on. Just doing the things that God wants us to do, investing in the people that God wants us to, and, and then we're going to find that we're capable leaders, even more than we thought. So just commit to pray for yourself. Pray that God would give you more influence and more ability as you just pursue a life of faithfulness. So God's vision is to change the world through you. And there are no small parts. So let's stop acting like small actors. Let's step into the light and be faithful people who can live out God's vision for their lives and change the world. Let me pray for us. God, that is uh, not only your vision, but it's my heart too, that this church would be, uh, continue to be influential in this community because we're maximizing the relationships you give us. And I pray that you would just make us uh, not just good disciples, but good disciple makers, that you would help us to catch your vision for the world and help us to live in a way that uh, honors you. And we pray that you would use our time this morning to, to help us to maximize our relationships, examine our priorities. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.